Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. Welcome everybody. Spit. Spit. This is the show where we talk about all things surfing. It is July 9th, the year of our Lord 2019. And sitting across from me in the Surfing Heritage and Cultural Center library is Mr. David Lee Scales. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. We talk all things surfing, but I feel like um, we're pivoting towards less and less surf talk. More podcast talk, more Netflix talk, <laughs> more what's happening in the world. It's true because it, uh, you and I were talking just a minute ago about how fascinating some of these other podcasts are that are out there and some of the topics. And, and it made me realize that, you know, surfing such a, it's such a non-earth-shattering podcast niche relative to these other podcasts that both you and I have been listening to unbeknownst to each other we sort of listen to the some of the same podcasts which are earth shattering or just big time big idea podcasts yeah there's a lot more to talk about in other realms than there is in surfing um what we were talking about specifically was last episode that we recorded you had just found recode decode yes which is like a tech podcast run by a journalist um kara swisher and so you've been digging into that, and the episode that they just published a day or a day ago, you and I had both listened to, and we had the exact same epiphany, which you just kind of covered. And I was listening to it literally 20 minutes ago on my drive here when I had this epiphany, Me too. which was the, uh, she was interviewing another journalist who's based in London and covering a bunch of kind of Facebook-related things. and um, Cambridge Analytica, Brexit, Russia, the Trump hackers, administration. Hackers taking down the internet and all of Sierra Leone, like all this stuff. And so, of course, as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, this is fascinating. The implications are really kind of important for how we live our life daily and how it's going to affect us and politics and everything else. How can we do this in surfing? What areas can we dig into in surfing to kind of make a meaningful contribution to draw some sort of allusion to our life? And and I'm stumped. I don't think there is a way to do it in surfing. You and I have complained on this podcast that there's no such thing as surf journalism. Surf journalism is a oxymoron, which is why Chaz uses that as his moniker for um, his Instagram handle. It's a joke. And so, but as, as it kind of, proceeds and grows i keep thinking that there's going to be opportunities you know and so the obvious ones are like okay well who's doing drugs who's using drugs who's using uh, illicit substance to advance their athleticism on the world tour or something like that i mean that's as juicy as i could get probably even that once you dig into it and you look at it in context of everything else in the world it's like who gives a shit yeah it's some dude riding a wave yeah putting shit into his body to be better at it right nobody fucking cares no it's stupid. No. You know, I really don't the care. juiciest of topics is like doesn't even scratch the surface of really good what could be investigative journalism, such as this woman Carol Codwalder is doing in regards to technology and democracy and the way that you know, as you know, because you listened to this, one of the fascinating moments of it was when she spoke about 
We've seen technology take over industries. It, Amazon took yes. over the book industry, so to speak. Um, it's it's taken over other industries. It's, Everything. Yeah, it's basically M- music. Changing. It completely music, disrupted exactly. music. Right. Completely disrupts publishing, journalism, all of it. And so it's disrupting is the great word. That's exactly what she used, right? It's just completely. In fact, she mentioned there was a conference where it's called technology disruption, where Tech, they go, TechCrunch does a disrupt version of right, it. Right. They yeah. just literally try to figure out how to disrupt some sort of industry. Like how can we screw it over with insane technology? Right. And the point of all of this was. There's also this industry, believe it or not, called politics. It's an industry, and it's being disrupted by technology, by hackers, by Cambridge Analytica, by Facebook, by all of these new technologies, and we're not even up to speed on it. We don't even realize that all, I almost feel like democracy needs to go analog. The way that technology disrupted our uh, election in 2016 was... um, indirectly you know it's like hackers come on and in and uh i don't think it was indirect according to what you and i just listened to relative to well it was in cambridge analytica buying data from facebook um cambridge analytica being hired by the trump administration being hired by steve bannon steve bannon being on the board of directors there's then the brexit guys that Forge, that English guy, that pup, yeah. Andrew Forge or whatever. Well, what's anyway. interesting about it, though, is like uh, Zuckerberg said at the time, we did not influence the Facebook did not influence the election or we didn't. There was no hacking done on the system. Right. Which the reality is he's right. There was no hacking. The hackers, quote unquote, used the system the way that the system was designed. You just buy ad space and target the demographics that you want to target. And so Facebook isn't selling those people's data to the hackers, but they are targeting the exact demographic that those hackers want to access, you know? So the data still remains in-house, but it's kind of just a, it's a distinction without a difference in this particular example. Well, this much I do know is before we go down a rabbit hole is that we should urge the listeners to listen to Recode Decode this particular episode if they're interested in sort of how we've touched on it on a topical yeah, level. But yeah, yeah. we will butcher it if we go any further. I already but have. A, but as it relates to surfing, it does inspire you to kind of step up your game and dig deeper until you realize there's not really anything to dig deeper. Or even if we told the drug stories that you and I are like, you know, just making up out of whole cloth, that's only really a human interest story that's kind of interesting for that one story. I feel like the stories that they're telling are just, they're much, um, it's kind of just, it creates a context for how we live our lives. It's a much, much bigger story than just one person's. Well, let me ask you this. Who's the greatest right now that we could call on? Who's the investigative journalist? In surfing. In surfing. Who is it? Because if you could identify who that is, I would say, okay, go find out about the guy that killed Bruno Dos Santos. Or what was that guy's name? Oh, that's a great story. You know, like that would be going like, let's find out. Ricardo. Ricardo Dos Santos. Let's find out what happened to his murderer. Is he in jail? Where does he live? What happened to his, does he realize what he's done? What about Ricardo's relatives and his brothers and like, however they've been like, so my point is there are some stories, but. Sean Doherty's done a good job over the years. He's written books like the Bra Boys He's probably, he is definitely the best. My point is, let's say it's Sean Doherty. Okay, Sean, will you go do that? Well, no, because I think Sean works for Surfing World or, yeah. or Surfer. I think he's the editor of Surfing World. Yeah. And he works for Surfer. Well, those He does editors, contest recaps for they're Surfer. They're not going to do... They're not going to send well, him to do a story on anything that... There's no funding for it. There's no financial exactly. incentive. 
Which really brings me to my point, which is this particular Recode Decode episode got me fired up on investigative journalism. Much the same way that this Jeffrey Epstein thing has gotten me fired up. Wild, huh? Like, we need more investigative journalists. Like, if I had a lot of money, I would open a wing. I'd call it the David Lee Scale School of Journalism for investigative. Like, I That's think there nice needs you, to be Because I've done zero to earn that time. Right, right. There needs to be more <laughs> investigative journalists in the world, not less. I mean, there needs to be... Free press is the one thing that this episode got me really fired up on. Like, we need free press. And there is something, David, that you and I can do, which I've already done. And I believe you've done this, too. Go out and buy a subscription to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times or your two favorite newspapers, whatever they are. Go out and buy a subscription, buy a five-year subscription. Just support journalism. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, this all started because I got out of the car in the parking lot here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center and I could hear your radio blasting with somebody talking about an abominable snowman. <laughs> Um, tell that story, the one that you were just telling me about the guy who got, who was found 30 years after World War II, because this ties into Japan and Japan's going to be the next big surfing nation. Well, I was listening to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, and he's doing a, a series on the Asia Pacific War during World War II, right? The Japanese Pacific War. And it starts off with Dan Carlin talking about this guy. I think his name's Ono Hiro. Hiro I forget his, his last name's Hiro. You knew his name 10 minutes ago. I know. Well, I'm going to butcher it. But let's just say it's Onoto Hiro. So it talks about Onoto Hiro coming out of the jungles in 1974 with his, with his sword, a well-stocked amount of ammunition, a well-cleaned gun, hand grenades. He's been in the jungles in the Philippines War for 30 years fighting World War II because he won't give up until his commanding officer comes and tells him that it's okay. Because he was given the orders, when you go into the jungle, you don't come out until you see me or you're dead. Okay. So 1974, what has he been doing for the past? He's been killing Filipinos. He's been in the jungles killing people, going, I'm not giving up. The war's been... People are like going, hey, man, the war's been... Like, people literally have, like, bullhorns and shit, and they're flying over in helicopters. They're like, the war's over. Please come out. And he's like, no. He's, like, shooting at helicopters and shit. He's like, I'm not coming out. This is all propaganda. I don't believe you. And, like, you know, he's just complete loyalty to Emperor Hirohito. Just, like, unabashed, crazy loyalty. And he... The people that he's killing are just random people in the forest, farmers, whoever. Yeah, comes whoever, across. whoever comes along, and people that are coming, like they sent like the Japanese ambassador to come get him, and like he's shooting at him. Going, either send Hirohito or my commanding officer, or get the fuck out. And is his commanding officer aware that this is happening? Is he even alive at this point? So they eventually they find they're like, okay, we better find his commanding officer to get this guy out before he kills more innocent Filipinos. So they hunt down the commanding officer, who's now, 30 years later, he's like this humble little bookseller in some suburb in Tokyo. So imagine when some government Japanese officials show up at this bookstore and they're like, hey, uh, Mr. So-and-so, uh, one, one of your soldiers needs to see you. He's, you know, so they explain the whole situation. This guy, they fly this guy to the Philippines. And this guy finally gives up. It's 1974. And he comes out with his sword. He comes out and he presents himself. And he's like, okay, I'm ready. Thank you. And, and they, they give him an honorable discharge. And here's what's even more fascinating. This isn't the only one. Really? This has been happening in the Japanese army since like the 50s. He's the last one. But since the 50s, at some point in the 60s, there was 300 guys in a regiment in the Philippines somewhere that had been fighting for 20 years. It's just crazy. And what this speaks to is the yes. loyalty and sort of the cultural fervor 
that is behind the Japanese character, you know, why they're so loyal to the, like I say, this sort of this Japanese stature. Um, that is the most fascinating part is how do you foster that level of loyalty and discipline in well, a human being? It's actually scary. It's pretty fascinating. And, and, and of course, Dan Carlin goes back from that story and he takes you back to, you know, maybe, I don't know, 800 AD and just talks about Japanese society yeah. and the way that it's slowly transformed and, and how, you know, it's very much sort of um, an isolationist state relative to the rest of Asia. It's very much like, don't come into our borders or we'll kill you and we won't go out of our borders, you know, to, to, to make more land, to be imperialist. But there, there seems to be also a difference uh, from the West in that we prize individuality. You know, and it's like go out and conquer and build your house and build a wall around it and like take care of your family, but achieve. Whereas I feel like the Japanese mindset is more we're all a community. You are just part of the fabric of this entire society, and we're going to elevate the whole so the society as a whole. Just play your part because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You know. Well, I w you're right, and I would urge you to listen to this Supernova in the East episode one because it really talks about the. Br the samurai society that was a big, big chunk of who they are as a people, the samurai warring nation, right? Mm -hmm. And the transformation of that when technology, which kind of segue, which wraps this whole thing up here, David, technology comes in and basically Japan has to open up. They can't be isolationist anymore. Frankly, around 1914 or something like that, one of our naval vessels just goes through their blockade. They have a Japanese blockade. They won't let any other nation states into their ports. But we have such an insane naval fleet that we just kind of more or less bully our way into their port and just go, hey, we're here. What are you going to do about it? Right. And from that point on, they're like, they're, they're like, oh, maybe we need to start adapting guns like this thing called, you know, like the firearm. And they were, so technology kind of came in and they had to face it and they had to go, we need to adapt. We can't just be the samurai nation forever and just fight with swords. Yeah. Anyway. So fascinating. Are um, we boring our listeners? No, I think this is your surf talk. This is way better than surfing. Um, <laughs> and it and it does. How could that not affect the Japanese surfers that we're starting to see, you know, make rising rise through the ranks? Certainly Kanoa, even though Kanoa wasn't raised in Japan. So I wonder how much of that he has kind of coursing through his DNA. He certainly has some of it. Yeah. And I might argue that the Japanese surfers is more sort of they sort of lean towards the whole Americana, Levi's, Elvis Presley, yeah. um, Mickey Dora, like in the individual thing that you spoke of. That's really what draws the young Japanese surfer, I think, to the sport and to the culture is that there is this freedom to it, this sort of Americana. They're trying it. to break out of what Yeah, they're trying to break out of that. Interesting. Like, sort of paternal. You know. so, there, so the isolationism thing can be dangerous. It serves a lot of, it has a lot of benefit, pros, but it could also be dangerous in that you're not really open to influence from other positive things. So maybe this moment in time is the perfect time because they're going to kind of find a better balance. They're going to have all of that DNA encoded in them, but then they're going to embrace the individuality thing. And that could make a super... I totally agree with you. I think that's what Kanoa's situation is. I think that... I think Kano is just the tip of it. I think there's a a bunch of others coming up behind him, which you talked about when you got back from Japan. You were talking about... Forget the Brazilian storm. We're looking at the Japanese cyclone coming five years down the road, you know? Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. And a lot of it depends on the next 
I mean, it's happening, but I think Kanoa is a big part of that. <clears throat> if Kanoa wins a gold medal and a world title, it's going to reinvigorate the Japanese surf culture. Yeah. Anyway, who yeah. knows? Dan Carlin's Hardcore History Supernova in the East, episode one and two are available. If you're interested in anything David and I have spoken about, you should go check that out. Great um, podcast. Wow. John John Florence, out for the season. <laughs> We're like, why are we talking about this? Here's my question to you. Will John John Florence ever win another world title? Yes. You're saying no. I mean, here's the thing. There's so many little blips on his personal radar that lead me to believe that he doesn't give a shit anymore. Like he's won two, right? Is he won two or three? Two. Two. He's won two. He's been injured twice that have ruined two years in a row. Or he could have won three and four, potentially. He's got this real... He's kind of got this current Slater. He sort of transcends world titles. Like, he, I get the feeling John John could go around on his boat, sail around for Hurley on his personal yacht to Tahiti and everywhere, score killer waves, just fully embrace the lifestyle as a world champion in the prime of his ripping, send out edits. Hurley would love it. You and I would love it. It would really be the... It's sort of like the paragon of what it means to be a surfer, to like get on a boat and sail around and surf perfect waves. And oh, by the way, be the world be the world's best surfer as well. Like that's yeah. like both worlds combining into like the the archetype. I, I agree with you. I think that'll happen ten years from now though. I don't I think it's way too early for him to pick that path. And I think if but he, he did, already mentioned that he's not gonna there was a little thing out, I forget it was on the inertia. Did you see this? No, I haven't clicked on the inertia <laughs> in six years, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> I get emails from him. <laughs> Me too. And it basically said that I thought it's I possible that John John Florence won't. That he they did an interview with John John. He's like, I might not ever win another world title, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, because he's humble and he's modest. That's why he would say that. Maybe. Here's my thought: If he committed to lifestyle, I know that. Not good enough. <laughs> I didn't click on it, so I'm like, oh, I'm easy. The inertia wrote it, then it. Very has very little bearing on oh, reality. Come on. Give Zach a break. no. It's some of their. So who wrote it? Who who is the author I, of that article? I, I I couldn't tell you. Yeah, well, we could find out. I'll look it up. Don't even. You don't want to know who the author is? I'm saying it you, won't you, matter. You have like a major inertia thing there, you dude. Because I got scorned too many times. I said I haven't clicked on it in six years. You've been scorned by the inertia. What does yeah, that mean? because when I have clicked. The oh. article is written by some dude in Iowa oh, who asked the lamest <laughs> questions ever. And I'm like, why did... And I had to close two or three windows to even read the article. Oh, yeah. And then from that point on, I get like mattress ads on every other <laughs> website I open. So what? Like, it's so... It's such a waste of time. Um, if that article provided anything of interest to you, I would gonna, be shocked. We're going to find I'd out. I'd be shocked. Um I'm not saying Zach is a bad writer or Zach. Zach's developed an amazing business plan, but whoever wrote that article, I'm saying, is going to. They cobbled together comments from Instagram to write that article, which you and I do to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no one. You can't. We gave um, them their business model. <laughs> here's my point about John John. Okay. If he commits to the lifestyle that you're talking about, he'll be tired of that within five years. And he'll still be 28 at that point or 29. And. It, that's just the wrong it's doing it in the wrong I agree. sequence I totally agree with that so, which is why I asked you the question I mean here's let me draw this out for you put it into perspective he was on tour for five years or whatever kind of 
gaining, let's say, he had all of the raw talent in the world. He was on tour for three or four years, five years, developing kind of the competitive prowess. He wins a world title in 2006. He wins an Eddie, right? And yeah. I think two Eddies. Yeah. Um, wins a world title in 2007. So now he is the man to beat in the world. He is arguably, even Slater saying, he's the best surfer in the world. He's the best big wave surfer, best barrel rider, best aerialist, best everything in the world. Goes into 2018 to defend for the third time, gets derailed by injury. So John John is the only person who has beat John John. Right. Comes back in 2019 from that injury, cleans up. He absolutely he had like the largest ratings lead that we've seen in a long time um, going into Brazil. So he's going to defend his title, re-injures himself, same injury. John John is the only person to beat John John now two years in a row. Yeah. He still is the man to beat by any measure. Gabriel Medina needs to check himself. Gabe thinks that he is, you know, the best surfer in the world, the defending champ, all of that. No, no, no. Only because John John took himself out. Gabriel's world titles are suspect to me because John John wasn't there to defend him. So, yes, part of being an athlete is you need to be healthy. And John John definitely needs to focus. The reason why I think John John will come back and win a world title is that he opted to do this surgery now. He opted to get out of the water in Brazil in that heat when he knew that he wasn't completely debilitated. So that indicates to me that he's got this very long-term goal. I, I think that he got out of the water because he was worried about it. It felt odd and he wanted yeah. to just ice it and maybe surf the next day. No, because he wanted to surf potentially the rest of the season and the rest of his career. That's what he wants to protect. Okay. Look, I guess what I'm saying is your analysis is super cogent, makes tons of sense. And I think more people than not would agree with that's probably what's going to happen. I'm suggesting to you that I'm seeing little things out there. I'm seeing little, little like social media, little flares, nothing big, but just like, I don't want to say disinterest, but I don't think he needs it. You yourself said, Kelly Slater said he's the greatest. He's won two he world titles. He's on his way to win a third derailed, on his way to win a fourth derailed. Let's just call him third and fourth. Most people are like, he's the best no matter what anyway. And he's got Hurley behind him. I, I, it's all not of that like is so short. All of that like is so um, ephemeral, though. Like, you're the best surfer in the world for, what, three or four years? Who cares? We could say that about Dane Reynolds. No, you know who and cares? Now the, the GOAT. The greatest of all time no, is but he saying only that cared. you're the best. Yeah, but so, you only had that title for a very short period of time. What John John's looking at is legacy. And you need to stand... You're not going to go down... Your legacy is going to be limited if you don't have more world titles than Mark Richards, Mick Fanning, Gabriel Medina. If Gabe stays on and gets three, that diminishes John John's legacy. I think John has all of the ability now, if he can get the health thing together... To beat all of those records and to be right alongside Kelly Slater, maybe not with 11 world titles, but certainly as the second most title winning male surfer. So I think that's what John John is focused on. And the, the things that you're telling me are actual arguments that I think he is in it for the long to win more world titles. Him having multiple interests shows a balanced life. That's actually a good thing. The hyper focus of just wanting to win at all costs, you can only sustain for five years. At most, you know what I mean? Because you'll, you'll burn out. And I think that's where Gabriel Medina is kind of at at this moment is he's had that red hot focus on world titles. And it's now kind of like it's it just 
you cannot sustain it. He's now getting sidetracked by partying. Some, some chicken, the Beyonce of Brazil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll see. It's interesting uh, podcast fodder. I like I like that you're presenting an argument. I just it's probably, cannot see it happening. Okay, and I I'm, and yeah, maybe it won't. But mark my words, if he takes a break, could he take a could he take a year break? Could he, he get he better? Could, no, I surf he could, pipe. I think it'd be a waste of. Could his he time. get better? Surf pipe as a wild card. Announce a year off. Do his thing. Doesn't he have a new girlfriend? Or he's got a. I see. He's got a girlfriend. It's not a new girlfriend though. She's been around for a year too. That has an effect, honey. Yeah, of let's course. just get on the yacht and go to Tahiti. It's for too a year. young, dude. Too young to do that. John, focus. Get I, your head I, in the doubt, game. I agree with you. If I was his, cat, you know, his team manager or whatever. If I was his manager, if I was the guy, I'd be like, dude, I'd be slapping him. You know, I'd be like, yeah. come on, get five more. You get the rest of your life. You got from forty to ninety to sail around and surf. Completely. But I'm just saying. I think also John John will do his best surfing by being pushed in these competitive environments. Like him coming up against Felipe, let's say at J Bay, will make John John be the best John John. There's no, I, I guarantee he watched Felipe 10 with the two alley oops and just goes, get me out there. Let me get out there. Let me do my thing. I agree with that. I, and and no certainly at the box with Jack Robinson, you know, like. He wants to be in the mix, for sure. Here's another interesting thing about John John's injury. You may have seen this. It puts Kelly Slater in the hunt to be on the Olympic team. Yeah, I did see this. It's kind of interesting. He's on the short list yeah. with Seth Moniz, <laughs> Connor Coffin, Chloe Andino, and Gr- Griffin's on the long list. Griffin. So I. So basically, I think the I think four Americans get invited to the. To the qualifier that happens, I think, this year in Japan, or is it in France? Mm, good question. Don't know. Um, so I interviewed Chris Stone, Galley. Yeah. Formerly Galley. Oh, uh, really? Why did he change his name? I'm not sure. Wait a minute. You interviewed Chris Gallagher, and his name's Chris Stone, and you didn't Well, his name why? was always Chris Gallagher Stone. Oh. And then he just dropped the Gallagher. I've only known him as Chris Gallagher. I've never, ever once known him as well, Chris Stone, ever. Talk to him. He'll correct you. And I'm sure he Chris will. Stone. But I want to know why. Good question. Jeez. Um, so Calm anyways, anyway, <laughs> he uh, is head coach, obviously, for the Olympic team. And even he doesn't know all of the details yet. Like, they're still sorting out. Like, you right now going, where is it going to be? How do you exactly define it? We don't it's, know. It's pretty it's supposed, simple to figure out. It's supposed to be the top two. Well, from we the know that. Tour. Yeah. I know it's the top two. It, but how do you get to the top two? On oh, the CT? You, oh, you mean the CT? Okay, yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. No, it is. It, that's what it is. It's the top two, but you're going to have a, an alternate too. Yeah, but I think what he said was, from the top ten on the CT, it's the top two from the nation. So yeah. if you're not in the top ten on the CT, like if there aren't two, two U.S. surfers, yeah, in the top ten, then there's an additional level of criteria that they have to use to vet them out, maybe, which might be this qualifying thing that you're talking about. Thing, yeah. Um, but what else was interesting was they're kind of rejiggering the um, judging criteria completely for really? the Olympics. Yeah. I'm sure that they will lean on what the WSL has done before, but they're not using WSL criteria. Because, by the way, WSL criteria is flawed. 
Okay, well, you and I criticize the WSL's judging every single event. So I think that all the leadership for the Olympic Committee is going, you know, this is an opportunity for us to make improvements. How? How Do you know how they're making improvements? Uh, what Ga- what Galley said. Aggressiveness what Galley said was. Three to the beach. Let's create neither of these things. See, you're thinking in this old mindset. Throw that away. Let's start from scratch. Okay. Guy let's, paddles out. Let's wave cre- comes. Nope. Before guy paddles out even. Okay. Let's, how do other Olympic sports judge their things? Objectively, right? If no, you're sw- subjectively. No, objectively. If you're a swimmer, here's a clock and no, you have to beat the if clock. If you're a gymnast, here are the judges. If you're an ice skater, here are the judges. Those judges have criteria as well, though. I don't know what those criteria are, but here's what he suggests for surfing. Let's create an objective criteria. Um, is a Here's a list of maneuvers. Points and here's... Maneuver. Yeah, and here's a diff- degree of difficulty in these maneuvers. So backside windshield wiper snap, you know, where your tail stays kind of mid-face and you throw the front half of your board up into the lip. The lip smacks it down, so you're kind of pivoting off the tail. That's a backside snap. Well, somebody blowing the tail out of the lip is also a backside snap. Well, these things have different degree of difficulty. If you're transitioning rails, that's a degree of difficulty. If you're releasing the tail, that's a degree of difficulty. So you can actually assess a quantitative value to each of these things. Mm. And so then you watch a wave and kind of parse it all together and add it up. Mm, that's interesting. It's going to take a lot of replay. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And I was like, Galley explaining this, I'm like, so is can you even do that? I mean, let's think of every surfing maneuver and each section provides a different opportunity and the degree of difficulty is kind of dictated by the wave but at that moment. Let me throw an example at you that I saw yesterday yeah. at J-Bay in the first round. Philippe Toledo is flying down the line and a section comes that you and I would do a floater over. He does a floater with the lip line as the lip line's mid-launch coming down onto the bottom of the transition. Much more difficult than a floater over the top. Over the top, where you're just kind of cruising Clearing and you just kind of baby into it again, right? Yeah. He he hit it as it came and to like get speed to project yes, into the next. It was really fascinating that he took that line. Yeah. This is an example of okay, a floater. What's a floater worth? That, that I mean, that almost deserves a different designation than floater. That's my point, right? Yeah. So at some point, subjectivity sneaks its way back in. Well, in theory, you could with a large enough lip launch, by the way, with a large enough um, kind of set of data points, you could plot every type of maneuver for every type of wave. Com- machine learning could do this for us. You take, <laughs> oh you take you take every wave on the planet that, or let's just start with the ones that we go to on tour. I mean, they they have. Let's talk J Bay because we're there. Yeah, now. so let's talk J Bay. So put whatever things you need to put in the water to pick up kind of. I mean, we already have these swell forecasting things. Why not? Right? Let's, in theory, let's okay. map this out theoretically. Put these sensors in the water and they map out um, wave movements and how waves are breaking and all that sort of stuff. And then for each of those sections, plot out what the options are to do, are to do on your front hand and your back hand. And an alley-oop is worth this amount of value. A bottom turn is worth this amount of value. You know what I mean? And just map it all out. Then when the surfer actually executes those things, you have all the data points with a value assessed, a quantitative value 
for that thing, and you can just add up the numbers. This is all theory, right. but with enough data points and computing power, you could do it. But let's back up a little bit. So you're saying Chris Gallagher's telling you that they're looking... Chris Stone. Chris Stone, sorry. So I guess his nickname Galley doesn't work anymore. No, we can still use Galley. It's Chris Galley Stone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's Chris Gallagher Stone. It's Chris. Do you just call him Galley? Can I'm you just, just call him Galley? I'm going does with, he slap you? You can go Galley. Okay. Do you go Galley? No, I go Stone. <laughs> Where does the stone come from? Is it like his maiden name? What is this? I don't know. It's a good question. Um, Again, I didn't do my investigative journalism. Didn't. I'm just so disappointed because to me, that's the most fascinating thing about this podcast so far. Actually, this is interesting. So he's saying that the Olympic judges, who is it? USA Surfing? Greg Cruz? Are these the guys that are looking at it? Yeah, those are the guys that are kind of um, I might need making to all the decisions. Interview him again. But I asked who are the judges going to be and we still don't know. So they are looking at basically points per maneuver and adding up those points. It's all undefined still. Right. But, but it this means is the, part of the what theory, we're discussing. The yeah. theory is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Would you, would you be excited to see Kelly Slater as the second surfer or the first surfer on the USA surf team? I mean, he could I'm, win Jay Bay and move up to number two. He lost his round one heat. So. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. It matters to me. Okay, I mean, but I'm again, if I'm adding, winning Jay Bay this year, he could still win Jay Bay this year. He could still. I'm just assessing the stats and the data going, that's not likely. Um, <laughs> he barely <laughs> lost. His, his win choice you are so You and everybody else just have his absolute Dude, he was winning Jedi the mind heat. trap. He was winning the heat. He was surfing really good. I mean, I, I would t- ask you to take off your I hate Slater bifocus. I love Slater. No, no, but you don't. Because you would have Slater. seen, if you would have objectively looked at that heat... He was winning the heat. If you if you wouldn't have realized it was him, if you all you saw was a red jersey and a blue jersey and a white jersey, you'd be like, red jersey served fucking great. Oh, look, take off the veil. It's Kelly Slater. My So my all-time favorite surfer is Kelly Slater. Has been since my youth. Still is to this day. I love him. I'm just, Kelly, if you're listening, this is his way to dig. No, this is the podcast. absolute truth. Right. But I'm just not going to um, ignore the stats Okay, well, because of my love affair. Just, I don't want you to ignore the stats. What I'd like you to do is look at what happened last night at Jay Beck. Okay, I'll go back and watch it. He surfed a good heat, although at the second half of the heat, he picked off two small waves. He should have got better waves. But hmm. Hmm. So he did lose. He got second, but he was winning the whole heat. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally 
free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. Right. Anyway, point is he could win Jay Bay. So am I excited to see him in the Olympics? Am I excited to see him in the Olympics? I'm very conflicted about it for the things I just said. I would love to see Kelly for a legacy standpoint. It's the first, um, obviously, surfing in the Olympics for the very first time. I want to see the greatest surfer of all time kind of be a part of that. Um, But do I want American? Do I want America to win gold? Yes, I do. And how can America win gold? Probably Chloe Andino and John John Florence. Okay, John John's not in the Olympics. So not yet. He's not going to be. Right. So let me say this. Kelly Slater or Connor Coffin? Kelly. Yes. For sure. Okay. Kelly Slater or Dino and Kaloe and Dino? I'd go Kaloe. Okay. Especially the... Kelly Slater or Seth Moniz? Kelly. Kelly's the so he's in there. I know. I, I would like, actually like Griffin to be honest. But I agree. His uh, ranking this year probably will not allow, which is kind of bizarre. Um, but by the way, Kaloe's on the big upswing. Like Kaloe could totally. be in peak form for Absolutely. the Olympics. Totally agree with that. So that'd be epic. Um, Can Kaloe beat Kanoa with Kanoa on home turf, or actually anywhere for that matter? That's a great question. <laughs> I would have said, I would have said absolutely. Kaloe is the man to beat in that equation up until maybe the last nine months or so. Kanoa looks kind of unflappable. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you called it, dude. I know. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to admit that you were correct. Oh, my God. I don't like it. That's not very nice. Uh, so anyway, Kelly Slater could be uh, could be on the Olympic team, which is sort of surprising. Here's, I think that's that surprises me a little bit. Yeah, of course. I mean, that is such a great Olympic story, by the it way. Is. For the Olympics oh, NBC to have... NBC would be frothing. Oh, my gosh. You know NBC's calling Greg Cruz right now, just going, dude, just make it happen. Do what you got to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's some Bitcoin. You know, do you want to play golf? I can get you a suite. <laughs> is that how the Olympics works? <laughs> dude, where are you been? Um, the problem is... I would. I agree with you that Kelly could win J Bay if J Bay is eight to ten foot and pumping. It's not going to be. Kelly can win Chopu when it's eight to ten foot and pipeline, but Kelly will not win at a beach break in Japan. You know what I mean? Well, we'll see. But because you just said there's a new judging criteria, there's a lot. It's going to be interesting. At yeah. the very least, it'll yeah. be interesting. Yeah. But. Even if he doesn't win Jay Bay, he's still going to move up the rank. Let's, I mean, I, so to me, I've been sort of on this. Look, semifinals are better as a win in my eyes because I'm, I'm assuming he's going to win like two events down the road like Pipe and Chopu. Or, no. You don't like that. France. Huh? No, definitely not France. Oh, dude, eight to ten foot France, insane barrels. There, yeah, he would have a chance, I suppose. Anyway, um, that's my John John Florence story. Okay, so I've got one that dovetails with John kind of a segue though um or actually it's related to japan as well like last night i posted on instagram footage of chris ward from what's really going wrong mm-hmm. 16 year old chris ward there was a section in that film right before the credits called one week in october it was all shot at lowers almost all of it was at lowers when he was 16 years old in one week and the footage is so insane like i i grew up watching that going and there's still clips that today would make the cut if John John did them. You know, like really insane surfing. Chris Ward's like 150 pounds. Yeah, yeah. And so my my commentary on it was, you know, it was kind of the end of an era where um, individuality and expression 
was the most valued thing in surfing. And that's what all of surfing was prior. When you look at certainly Mickey Dora, all of this, it was like... It's all about freedom. An expression of your own kind of character. culture. And the wave, I mean, not to get super cheesy and cliche, but the wave is, it's the dance floor. You know, it's like the platform for you to showcase your personality. And that Chris Ward really kind of closed the door on that era and Andy Irons along with him and those guys to where we got into the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was like homogeneity is valued, sterility is valued, like because you're getting paid by a brand who now has shareholders and you cannot be caught with a beer in your hand or doing drugs or any of that stuff. And so just like squeaky clean. Usher in Chloe and Dino, usher in that whole era, um, bring on the trainers or the coaches and the handlers to make sure that you're squeaky clean and you're answering the right questions. And, the, and so we've been living in that era now for the last 15 years or so. And so to see a 16-year-old Chris Ward, I was like, wow, when have I seen a young up-and-coming surfer this raw? It's been a while. And even the Noah Deans or the Mikey Wrights, it's manufactured. You know, like they might have a little of it. And then the brand comes in and gives them $300,000 a year and goes, okay, um, make sure that you continue, literally make sure you continue partying, partying is in the contract. Paint your fingernails every six months is in the contract. You know, this insane. Play guitar. So, and even if it was part of their DNA initially, now it's, now it's kind of like, Make sure you keep doing the same thing that people are expecting of you. And uh, how refreshing it was to see Chris Ward, first of all. So that was the impetus for all of these thoughts. But I kind of looked at, I feel like John John is off. What we love about John John is he is authentic. And he's authentically living his experience. And that's what you're tapping into. Yes. With like, oh, he just wants to shoot photos and go fishing and go sailing. But I would argue it's authentically in him to want to win five world titles as well. You know, but, but, but my point is what we love about John, John is that he's still doing his thing. Whereas I feel like, that's um, why he can go do whatever he wants. And we'll be like, Oh, that's cool. He's doing his thing. Whereas if it's a different point, Gabe should have won 12 titles. What a puss. Whereas I feel like though, Felipe and Kanoa and, Kaloe are all gravitating towards a mean like they're all it's very homogeneous you know um homogenous homogenous thank you it's all gravitating towards this middle where it's like yes you're going to expect them to do x y and z on a wave to a greater degree of difficulty but it's not really a freedom i don't even know who their personalities are does Kaloe have a personality i don't know you know because he's only ever towed the company line yeah. Good point. Where's Shop. my Andy Irons? I want Andy back. <laughs> When's that book going to come out that Brad Malekian's supposed to write? I don't know. Why don't you call him on air? No. Put him on speaker. No. Um, the surfing. Should we talk a little bit about the Corona Open at J-Bay? Did you watch any of it? No. I watched the highlights this morning. I can give you some. Everybody, quick. every All the good people won. Gabe, Felipe, Idolo, uh, Kanoa, Julian, Jordy, Steph, Carissa. They all won. That's all that mattered. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I was watching it and I was kind of un... I was kind of... It was just a, a real sort of a... Predictable. It was really a, 
a, a case for the tour needs to be pared down. Like I kind of watched it and I was just flicking through it and I wasn't necessarily, guys were ripping, surfing was really good, but I wasn't just like, oh, I can't wait to watch heat number four or whatever. You know what I mean? Dude, <clears throat> we spend two full days of competition just to get rid of Alex Ribeiro and David Silva. Thank you. <laughs> we need a, we need like a buzzer because that's exactly I mean, seriously. what we've been, we've been saying that for years. Two full days of competition. Yeah. And, and by the way, in marginal surf so it's almost not worth watching even even felipe's heat like his big score of the day it's like okay well he ripped that wave but that's not going to go on the highlight reel all of this two days of resource that we're using ends up on the cutting room floor resource. nobody ever nobody ever comes back and re-watches it resource remember that word that's a good word we're going to time back. money all of these people you're in my attention you know by the way, is the heat analyzer working on your computer? Because I have been having problems with the heat analyzer. Yes, it has been. I have not do looked at it. Do you have Firefox for... browser? Is that what you're using? Or I do you... not use Firefox. I use, use Chrome mainly. And it's working on Chrome? Yeah. It's... For the techie guys over there in Santa Monica, I'm telling you that the heat analyzer isn't working on Firefox Quantum browser. See if you can fix that for us. Uh, real quick, Philippe Toledo looks incredibly on point. As you know, two-time defending champion of this event. I saw nothing in the heat that he surfed last night that tells me he won't be the winner again. He looks friggin' impeccable. Well, the waves were shoulder high. Yeah, but so they he, he got back-to-back tens when it was six foot. So Yeah, but I don't think anybody can contend with him at shoulder high, J-Bay. Once it gets overhead high, I think He's still Jordy, totally in the Jordy would be yes. a real contender. But, John John's out. Jordy, Kelly could can be, Jordy get to that point in the... And the rat and the draw. Not if it's small. Um, a comment that Martin Potter's made before about this wave, which I think is really apt, is that is that Jay Bay's an easy wave to ride, but it's a difficult wave to ride well. And that's a, again Martin Potter quote. I think that's good. And I don't think that the judges should put as much emphasis on the end maneuver at Jay Bay as they do at, like, say, Bells or at uh, Margaret River. Where it's like, okay, is he going to finish? The, like to me, making that little end section on the bricks after you've had seven eighths of the wave, these insane open radical carves, beautiful surfing, intense high pocket, high tight arc turns, all of that stuff should should have equal value to this last little end floater at the end. On like to me, if you don't make that end section, it shouldn't be as penal. I think as it might seem. At, the way that the broadcasters are sort of commenting on it. The judges should make sure that that's, yeah, yeah it's the end of the ride, but right, well, I don't know if it's... I agree with you completely. I had never thought about that before, and you're entirely right. Because that end section isn't really a proper end section anyways. Like, whereas you would the, never finish the wave. like You would kick out. Every time, right. you would just kick out. Whereas like the end section at... Um, Karamas is like kind of meaty and offers a real opportunity or lowers, even though it's not on tour anymore. That's an opportunity to do a big 360 air, you know, yeah. full rotation air. So the one at J Bay, it's more just like a, it's not a proper end section. Yeah, it's not. It's you, and you the way normally kick yeah. out of that wave. The value of J Bay is all about flow, finding flow on a wave. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's where all the value. I mean, I almost be. feel like you should, you, the judges should say, look, if you want to kick out, just kick out. On that, like it's not going to harm you if you kick out. Now, if you do a turn, maybe you'll get a, I don't know point two, if that. There's an occasional wave where you can slam it, but yeah, I agree. I don't with know. You. I, I just agree. feel like if you don't make that end section, 
all of that work you did down the line for seven eights, yeah. 400 yards, it shouldn't be. I guess the real kind of important point here is that you can't just have a blanket judging statement for every stop on tour that says totally agree. finishing the wave is important. In fact, each and every day there should be, and I know there is, a hooey yeah. up with the judges that are yeah. like, look. Okay, um, I like it. And that's about all I got. There's just been one round of okay. Bay done. Well, I like it. Um, did you watch Stab High? I didn't watch it live. Did you pay to watch it? Yeah. How much was it? Fourteen ninety nine. I, I had friends that invited me over to their house for a barbecue to watch it. I had something else happening that day, but I would have gone. Was it a fun viewing? It was. Um, did I get everything I needed to get in the follow-up? Yes. I've watched Stab High. I watched all the killer shit that happened. I just oh, absolutely. The live. Absolutely. You got, you got a better experience probably watching the follow-up. Um, or more pactic action. Kind what of. was I want to know this? What was Bobby Martinez and Christian Fletcher like on the on the microphone? Unlistenable, really incoherent babbling. Were they drunk? No, I don't think they were drunk. I think that's just their normal right. nine, ten, eleven in the morning incoherent babbling. But just incoherent babbling. In, incoherent and underinformed. You know, like yeah. like the reality is, Christian does know terminology and he has he's so steeped in skating and obviously his legacy and surfing and all of that stuff but um so he has value in terms of like todd richards saying you know what type of a grab is that but i'll be honest i think he's getting some of them wrong because at other moments other people would offer an alternative and he goes and then he would kind of backpedal a little bit and go like oh yeah well at a point in time this move was called that but the name adapted so i think that christian does have value in that you know being able to identify tricks and stuff like that but by god they they cannot maintain a coherent thought pattern they do not answer questions they talk over one another bobby seems to have not paid attention to surfing at all in the last decade so he doesn't know even guys names you know like like aton osborne is from his local town actually i think he got aton right it was christian that was calling him ethan osborne um but like legitimate surfers who are like making good money like very well respected and kind of visible they didn't know who they were you yeah. know and were they like who is this guy this guy's hot pretty much this guy? I've never pretty seen much <laughs> yeah and like things you know noah dean did this or that last year and bobby's unaware and bobby was sitting in the commentary booth last year at the event yeah. you know it was just really kind of bizarre and um you know there's a so moment wasn't any like, there's there's an element pre-production meetings with these guys about no do you have notes do you have any Dude, they didn't even know how the judging worked they were like asking duma like wait a second how are we scoring this there was elements of um entertainment in it but for me it was more sad than anything right it was like hey we kind of know some of our idols aren't really you know we shouldn't be idolizing them but let Surfers us just the yeah but let them live in our legacy in our mind a little bit don't prop them up in front of us and yeah, watch them fall it apart it's like so that part of it was sad um it really puts into perspective how much hard work the wsl has done to provide insightful entertaining commentary because it, there was a really stark contrast i think that duma is great damien farenfort i really like uh his role 
and he has a good time. Like it's fun and it's entertaining and he's also insightful and he provides all this backstory because of his industry kind of background. Um, Dane Reynolds was there judging and no, he wasn't judging. He was there as commentary. And then I think Brendan Gibbons got injured. So they put Dane in to surf the event. Dane also has lost a step in all ways, like surfing, not looking great, which is understandable. He's raising kids and all that sort of stuff. But, um, and he even looking great, you know, just doesn't have the pop. He's looking sluggish. He's not nearly as sparky as those other guys are. I don't know. What are you doing, Scott? (laughs) I'm I'm stretching. (laughs) Um, he does. He looks fit enough for sure. Like, He's just not at the top of his, he's not at the height of his powers anymore. But what was more depressing for me about Dane was his apathy. Like he didn't seem to care. I guess where it is with Dane, hey, Dane, if you don't care, I don't care. And so I, I love Dane. I loved his surfing for so long. And love I love or loved past Loved, times. loved. But I still have love for him. But for all of the time that I spent fawning over him, I would like to still have some of that. But again, Dane, if you don't care, gosh, neither do I, dude. And it, it really felt like he doesn't care about surfing as a whole, which I completely understand because we asked way too much of him for five or six years there. It was like, we just couldn't get enough and tell me every little bit about your life. And he's obviously somewhat reclusive yeah. and he doesn't necessarily want all of that. Yeah. So I think he was overwhelmed by all of it and just kind of withdrew from it. So I completely understand and I think he's probably enjoying life at this point. And so I don't know why I'm putting any of my expectation on him. That's really not fair. But also then why go do the stab thing? Because it seemed like he didn't really necessarily want to be there, want to fully engage. All I know is if if I was offered either to be allowed to check out Dane Reynolds' Instagram or his wife's Instagram, I'm going to take... His wife's Instagram all yeah. day long. Yeah, it's of course. So interesting. Yeah, <laughs> completely fascinating. Yeah, it's a full blown like performance art project. It's it's she's um, very talented. So other things about the event. One thing that was really interesting was how divergent the judging was versus the commentary. So somebody did. I think it was Current Cables did this huge backside straight air, but he like boned out the tail. Yeah. It was like a shifty, and then mm-hmm. he landed. And they're like, that was the best air of the event. Everybody in the commentary booth was like, that was insane. That's the hardest thing to do. It was so sick. The judges gave it like, you know, mid middle end score. Yeah. Out of the 50 points, I think it was like 31 or something. Yeah. And the commentaries were tripping. They're like, oh my God, these judges don't know what they're doing. And then they're like shaming Brett Simpson and all this sort of stuff. So there was a real that's contrast, cool. which what, I actually, I thought it was cool. Yeah, but I thought that they neat. also... Because now we have conflict. It's cool to the have con- conflict. you got to have conflict. And I, to be honest, didn't view that as being the best air of the event, but the commentary actually won me over yeah. by them explaining it. I'm like, okay, now I see what you're talking about. Okay, I agree. That was sick. And then to see the judges validate what I originally thought made a conflict in my own head. Then I realized, well, what we really need is a camera and mics in the judges' booth so they can argue back and forth. Because let's be honest, uh, Albie Layer's in the judging booth. Shay Lopez is in the judging booth. I think Aaron Cormican maybe was in Some the judging have booth. Too many judges. Well, but those are all legitimate. They know yeah. what they're doing. No, you know? Doubt. Look, you could put five other guys that know what they're doing and have twenty guys. My point is, I think less is more in the judging booth. I think with Albie, 
Um, who else did you name? Aaron Cormican, Shea Lopez, Brett Simpson. I think Shane Magnuson might have been there. Well, the first two for sure should be in there. Cormican and Le- and Albie. Yeah. Um, Even Shea. Dude, I watched Trick, Trick Tips 101 when that video came out. Shea was the front side air. Okay. <laughs> I studied Fair that enough. for a long time. Um, so all of these. Have you th- ever done an air? Yes, I have. What was it like? How big was it? Probably tiny. It felt giant. I've only. <laughs> How do you know you did it then? Because there's weightlessness. The weightlessness is what you remember. Because right. then you touch down. Once the board like hits and touches down, you're like, oh, oh, you did one at Waco, didn't you do one recently? Like, don't didn't somebody have a picture of you doing? Yeah, one? I'm not calling that one though. You're not. No, no. Because you didn't land it. I just wouldn't call it. Even though I didn't land it, I still wouldn't claim it was an air. It was so small. and like that, 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 that air is like two times bigger than the only air I've ever done. Really? Yeah. Like I may have gotten like the most credit card air ever. I've done, interestingly, backside ones tend to be easier for me. Like if you're pumping down the line on the left and the ramp is right in front of you, it's an end section that is just like wedging. Yeah. I can just position the board kind of upward and just maintain the control over the center of the board and then come down. It's just almost like going up and down, Mm. but you're off the wave instead of on the wave, you Uh. know? Uh, But I'm not even bragging. I mean, even that was a decade ago, probably. Um, At any rate, the stab event, here's how I'll sum it up. If you got nothing to do on a Saturday, it's a great little novelty thing to have on on the side when you're doing your household chores. And I love that we have that nowadays. It's not just CT events 10 times a year that we schedule our life around. It's like, oh no, a random Saturday, you can watch the Red Bull Cape Fear or the Stab High event. So for that, it's worth the $15 price of admission. Um, How long was the broadcast? Six hours. Why not do this in two hours? Like all other sporting events. I think, look, the amount of work that requires to get there, like, it yeah, needs... Yeah, everything that they're getting out of this is, like, B-roll anyway. Like, you could shoot for six hours. No, I wasn't mad at six hours. I think six uh, hours was fine. Oh, yeah. And I wasn't mad if I had to go take out the trash. Like, fine, I can miss a heat. I can miss, or miss, whatever, the next three waves. No big deal. Um, another thing it did, again, was just kind of highlight the difference between the professionalism of the WSL, which, by the way... Professionalism can also get really boring, but um, you know it's a pretty seamless package that they put together, which is kind of nice. Whereas the stab event had a lot more hiccups. They actually had to call the event off before the final, or kind of mid-final, I think, because there was this huge black cloud coming. Um, that was kind of cool in a weird way. Yeah, I mean the photos were insane. Uh, I was but- in a contest. Down in Cabo when you're one of those Herbie Fletcher longboard contests, it was like 89 or something. And and a massive friggin' tropical storm came and everyone had to get inside this little cabana restaurant at Zippers. And it was just the most raging, alcoholic, like packed, like 20-year-old men drinking and screaming and just going crazy. It was, yeah. it was I guess you had to be there, but it was kind of fun. Sounds fun. You know who was playing was Nathan Fletcher was probably like ten years old. And he no was way. playing. He was playing in a heavy metal band. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, Christian played too. They both had. They were both in this. They both had like guest parts in this San Clemente heavy metal band, which I can't remember the name of them. But funny. Well, so Nathan, interestingly, uh, and in contrast to um, Christian, 
I interviewed Nathan and Mark Oblowitz, right, for that new Heavy Water film. Nathan, really interesting, really articulate, kind of a deep thinker. Um, not Mark Oblowitz, Michael Oblowitz. Michael would step all over Nathan. Michael just kind of is the center of attention and has high energy. And he's actually really smart, but just this incessant kind of talker. So Nathan couldn't get a word in edgewise. But once I kind of got Nathan going, he was actually really interesting. I would love to have longer conversations with him, which I wouldn't wouldn't have expected just from what I've seen of Nathan through the internet, you know? Um, at any rate, stab high. The freak peak thing, obviously you saw Kevin Schull's yeah, that flip. Yeah, was, that was, I would say, that was probably the highlight of the event. Yeah, they didn't actually get to run the peak freak event. That was in the free surf. Yeah. It was going to run at the end of the day, and of yeah. course the day got shut down. But I think that offers some interesting opportunities. Like, I've been kind of making this argument that um progressive surfing isn't going to happen in wave pools like techie surfing will happen there and practice will happen there but really i think as we move forward progression is going to happen in waves of consequence seeing guys do massive airs in rio you know at the uh ct event we just had down there where there's just this massive closeout section you're really risking life and limb as we found out yeah as john john gets derailed like those you see some of the images of julian 10 feet out that is progress you know um but the freak peak kind of challenges that notion a little bit because that's unlike a lot of what we see in the ocean it provides everything else that we've seen in a wave pool is a lesser degree of what we see in the ocean you know less energy all that sort of stuff and and again not even head high waves so I've always viewed the pools as just, again, being predictable, but a lesser degree of what can potentially happen in the ocean. The freak peak is like, oh, this is actually substantial. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. The freak peak, it's, it's for those of you that don't know, it's a wrinkle that they sort of put into the American wave machine people that, that sort of make the wave, that have the computer and the technology behind it. They threw this wrinkle into the wave so that there's sort of a backwash Wave section is the best way I could describe it. Yeah. That it's like a wedge that comes at you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you're launching it lasts for this incredible ramp, right? It's like if you're a snowboarder headed down the mountain and there's a kicker in front of you. It's like a kicker coming straight at you. So you can launch off of it. And then the original wave is kind of the landing pad. You can land on that transition. And Kevin Schultz did a complete upside down flip and landed Giant. seamlessly in the transition. So yeah. there's just it was mind-blowing. It was really mind-blowing. That guy, he's an incredible surfer. And Chippa Wilson won the overall event, by the way. Yeah. Stab. Stab high. Um, surfing Walk of Fame induction is taking place here in Huntington Beach during the U.S. Open of Surfing. And the surfing champions being inducted, Joel Tudor and Derek Ho. The honor roll, Don McAllister. Don't know anything about him. Maybe we should find out more about him. Woman of the Year, Courtney Conalog. The local hero, Sam Hawk. Surf culture inductees, Jeff Devine and Art Brewer. And the surf pioneer inductee, Rennie Yader. So all of that happening in Huntington Beach, downtown, right there at one of the surf shops, the Surfing Walk of Fame induction. Awesome. Yeah. Good list. Yeah. Looks like Courtney's uh, sponsor list, by the way. Really? Yeah. Bummer for her. The WSL has made uh, 
sort of a statement by being carbon neutral by the end of this year. Carbon neutral. According to Reese Pacheco, the executive director of WSL Pure, which is their nonprofit sort of environmental um, portion of the WSL, the WSL Pure has they've taken the quantified airplane flight emissions from both their staff and the athletes for the CT and the big wave tour only. So all of those flight emissions, they've got those numbers. And then what they do is they send an equal, what they consider an equal dollar contribution to various ecological initiatives in Asia or South America or North America or Africa to offset those emission numbers. Those numbers come in in tonnage. So they determine the tonnage of flight emissions and then they put a dollar amount towards that uh, at these various initiatives. And all of these projects and initiatives, of course, are certified in one way or another. So they have uh, no problem being carbon neutral by the end of this year. So, Good. yeah. I remember Kelly Slater buying back his carbon emissions at one point. Yeah, you can. Remember that story? Yeah. It's like a decade ago. Yeah, you can do various things like um, you put your money towards like planting of trees yeah. or there's all these other, you know, like peat moss swamps and just random. There's some things that are, again, all these initiatives are sort of verified. And yeah. So if you want to do that, you can do that, which I think is hats off. Why not? Um, By the way, the waves down in Australia have been insane. They've been insane in Indo and they've been insane in Australia. The Superbank, I guess my must-see moment, my spy optics, super happy. Why not be happy? Why not wear spy optics? My must-see moment is going to be... Um, there's footage of Snapper Rock with Parco and Mick Fanning, probably two of the most happy retired guys in the world, <laughs> and some other guys um, just getting sick pits behind the rock there at Snapper. And there's some good stuff of Kira, too. So that whole Gold Coast last week lit up and yeah. was massive. Yeah. Uh, you know what I forgot to tell you about when we were talking about podcasts? Um Eric Weinstein or Weinstein is a mathematician and economist who is on Joe Rogan. Yeah, this I wanted week. to listen to that. They talk about surfing. Really? So Eric Weinstein apparently knows a bit about surfing. And um, they, you know, Laird was on Rogan and Laird brought his coffee machine branded Laird thing with like turmeric creamer and all this sort of stuff. So anyways, that's still in. Uh, Joe Rogan's studio so he offers Eric a cup of layered coffee and that sets Eric off on like a tangent and he's like yeah you know um, he studies everything obviously from a mathematical point of view and he's talking about how Kai Lenny is really revolutionizing surfing he's like the leaps and bounds that are being made based on what Kai is doing is unlike any other sport Scott has been claiming this for the last year or two um are you a mathematician too? No, you all you study this All you got to do is watch and just see who the greatest surfer is right he, now. Well, he was arguing that it's even more significant than we've seen in any other sports. You don't see these kind of quantum leaps forward in the way that Kai is doing with toe, paddle, foil. You know, kind of across a bunch of different platforms. He's breaking all these boundaries. And what was interesting was he argued 
often it isn't some quantum leap athletically when these things happen. You mean competitively? Neither. It's actually, we were always worried about drowning. (laughs) We were worried about falling off of a 20 and 30 foot wave. And that's what limited. And Kai has worked around that through flotation devices and through certain other things. He's no longer concerned. And even him like airdropping at Jaws, I remember the clip this last year. Like I think he kind of went up to lip. It wasn't on the drop on the it was takeoff. Like a floater. Yeah, he just kind of like went up to the top of the wave and the bottom dropped out. Fluttered. And then, yeah, he opted to drop back into the wave and he fluttered, you know, 30 feet or 20 feet down the face and reconnected. Things like that, people would have just ditched their board because they were worried about breaking a leg. Yeah. Um, Kai somehow is not subject to those things. And so not having this lim- this uh, physical constraint has allowed him to break all these new boundaries. No, that's you know? very yeah. fascinating. Yeah, and again, he, really he didn't run any of the math. And I don't even know how you would in those scenarios, but he's at least analyzing it from that headspace, which allowed him these insights, which I thought were really interesting. So anyways, if anybody wants to hear that, it's the Joe Rogan podcast and it's at the 20-minute mark. Um, and it's only about five minutes long, but it's worth listening to. And it was listener submitted, by the way. I Sometimes didn't... we're too close to it to actually realize it. But yeah, he just doesn't have to worry about dying. So because so he just goes, we don't have to worry about that. Then there's no limits. Because yep. really, that's what was holding us back. And fear. A, a lot of that is rescue teams are there. It's not just him having a rubber bandy body that's not going to break. It's like, right. no, he's got a lot of um, risk mitigation in place. You know, so anyways, uh, at the 20 minute mark of that episode is where you find it. And again, listeners submitted. So thank you for listener submissions. Uh, my must see moment is actually Red Bull's no contest series. I saw this it was good. The one with Brazil. Yep. With um, Steve Elaine and Ashton Gogan, Goggins. Yep. It was pretty good. There were some moments of it where I was kind of cringing, but I thought it was pretty damn good. It's very good. I just happened uh, to watch it yesterday. They've so... They started doing this, I feel like, last year. They did a few episodes, and this year they've committed to doing it at every single event. Ashton is the host. It seems to me that Ashton... I haven't talked to him about it, but... He won't talk to you. He probably will not talk to me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, that is very true. But I think he's kind of... He doesn't seem to be as active of a role as the editor at Stab anymore. There seems to be a little... There's other people doing a lot more writing. You know, like he was on there every week for a while doing things. And I don't know. I'm just basing this on what I've seen on their website. But um, it seems that now this is actually kind of a job for him because he has to travel to all the stops on tour and spend two weeks basically building out all of this footage and content. But it's really, really well done. Of course, Red Bull always does a first class job. And this is exactly what I've wanted surrounding the tour for a while now my problem okay go ahead tour notes is a great behind the scenes kind of thing but it's so fast cut um this and it also is just about the pro surfers what i like about this red bull no contest series is it provides a lot of cultural context so they go and they eat in the local restaurants they'll interview the owner of the restaurant they'll go to a winery and sometimes they'll bring a pro surfer with them like jay davies in west oz to kind of be their um tour guide but they'll also interview the experts in the given area 
They'll also give you kind of an economic breakdown of the area. You know, what a cup of coffee tastes or costs, what a dinner costs, uh, what the local industry is and kind of the earnings of that area and what the socioeconomic breakdown is for the people that live there. And, and, you know, these surfers in West Oz are making a living off of mining. So it gives them enough money to go travel the world this amount of months a year. Like all, again, cultural and social context that just adds a lot of value to the tour stop. And they're they're editing these fast enough to where they come out, you know, I think last year it'd come out like a month later and it was almost like I forgot about the Margaret River event by that point. Now they've kind of got it dialed down and it's coming out a week after the event ends, which I think is important. So I would recommend everybody and I'll embed it on um, spitpodcast.com. Red Bull, no contest. Look, it's really, really good. My only criticism is that it comes off a little bit Chamber of Commerce-y. Like, there's, yeah. there was no mention of crime. <laughs> there was no mention of what is Brazil really like. It was more like, Brazil's great. Naked chicks playing volleyball, you know, playing soccer on the beach and great food. And, and here's the favela. And, like, like to me, it, I personally would have liked a little bit more, um, not so much, a, hey, let's make Brazil look great. How about let's tell, the, tell everyone about what Brazil's really like. Like, what's, Interesting. The, what's the water quality like? Well, didn't they have a water quality issue there? Yeah. What what's up with the crime in the favela that you're overlooking during this B-roll shot of you guys looking like So so I, maybe, I agree like, with you. you know maybe that's not their that's not what they want to do. Maybe they want to they obviously they want to promote Brazil. I get it, but I don't think they even have an, a motivation like that. I think their tact was and actually the title for the piece was Brazil the most under respected or under misunderstood which is because everything you just said is really the leading story every time we talk about brazil and so their tactic was like well we are everybody already knows what scott is saying right so we're going to tell them under misunderstood story yeah how good did that barbecue look by the way churrasco i thought what looked good was that eat like that that first little buffet they went into where you get to eat, you you serve yourself it yeah. was a serve yourself buffet yeah and there was the two nice little ladies and- yeah wow you've changed why you want all the vegetables and not the meat <laughs> i i i'm i'm with the, i'll do veggies and meat that's what i'm all about um well good job for on stab and red bull for that um you want to i got a duke and a kook okay go ahead because i do not you know I'm giving the the Duke to Dan Carlin, which is I just added that one in as we sat down because you are absolutely right. Or we kind of talked about it before we started recording. That guy does more hard yards. When we look at other podcasters who we need to like aspire to be, that guy does more hard yards than anybody. Like he does these four hour monologues, which means he's writing a script. And by the way, I'm sure he's editing that up. It's not w- one clean take. They're editing that. And I know how long it takes to edit. So it's really, really, really well done. Well, he, I mean, he and puts he, out one every six months. But he was doing this way before there was ad revenue. Yeah. Like yeah. he was doing it just as like a passion project. Because he's not a historian. He just loves history. Like he's not like a certified, like he's not a professor. It's you know wild. What I mean? It's so wild. And what's really great about him, as you know, is that he uses multiple sources. In other words, if he's doing a thing on Japan, he'll find like the Library of Congress in Japan or whatever the hell they call it, you know, and get 
firsthand accounts or written source material from various different points of view. So you're going to get the Japanese point of view, you're going to get the American point of view, you're going to get the point of view from the British, you're going to get all these different points of view from him, which is kind of cool. By yeah. the way, there's a killer one called Destroyer of Worlds. He does these things called Blitz Editions. He's so busy putting together these five-hour right. podcasts. That he's like, look, I just want to speak about this one thing, so I'm going to do these 45-minute Blitz editions of Hardcore History. This one called Destroyer of the Worlds, or Destroyer of Worlds was supposed to be about the Bay of Pigs. It ends up, it's a six-hour Blitz episode. It's so fascinating. It's all about thermonuclear war and the atomic age. And the, I think we spoke about this. Maybe. A little bit. But anyway, you got to check out that one too. That one's really good. Yeah. So I started listening to that, uh, I mean, six years ago or something. But they're so daunting and dense that sometimes I'll put it off because I'm like, oh, I've only got like a 20 minute drive. I'm going to listen to something. Oh, I'm going to listen to the daily or something. And then I'll forget about Dan for a while. And then you'll often remind me of him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should go back and listen. And I'll go back and listen and just go, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing on the Internet. It's crazy how good it is. And what I love about him having done it for this long is there was no market for it. Nobody even said they wanted it. He just, like, committed to doing this thing yeah. on his own terms. Yeah. And I guarantee you, the first three years, his wife and everybody around him was like, you got to trim them down. Six hours is way too long. And he's just like, nope, it's got to be six hours. Yeah. This is the story. I'm sticking to it. Yeah. And he's the best at what he does. He's you know, really it's good. just really good to see. So Dan Carlin's my Duke. My kook is the kook who kicked the electrical cord out of its plug for the internet at Stab High, thereby ruining the streaming for all of us viewers for a full hour of the event. You're in the middle kidding. Of the yes. No, you guys were no. offline for an hour? What did you do? I would have given I took, up. I took a nap. I was like, well, okay, I guess I get a nap today. And, oh and I woke up and it was back to, on. You're lazy, man. Dude, nap. Dude, what are you talking about? Lazy. Lazy? Yeah. Lots of successful, productive people nap. I agree. I'm a huge fan of the nap. Are you? Oh, yeah. Uh, nice try to shame me, though. But this is a real story, dude. So Stab brought in their own internet to make sure that like they would have an... A, unending yeah, stream yeah. through this thing so they go where we need to have this at the highest point well it turns out the giant water slide is the highest point of bsr cable park so they go and they put the antenna and the infrastructure up on top of the water slide but the water slide was still active through the day so some kid who's just going on the water slide kicked the cord and it literally unplugged it from the wall and that's how we lost our internet there's electricity up by a water slide yeah, this, this all sounds like a terrible idea. Oh, my God. Uh, so we lose our stream, and a day or two afterwards, Stab sent an email to everybody who paid for the event. Oh. And they're like, hey, here's the actual story of what happened. It seems so stupid and silly, but this is what happened. And if you want a refund, let us know, and we'll give you your money back. Did you get your money back? No. I'd like to know how many people got their money back. You know, I mean... How much was it? 15 bucks? Yeah. I, I feel like uh, they deserved the money because of all the hard work they did. So uh, I was happy to pay it. But what did they do better? Better commentary, right? So you learn, each time you do an event, you learn. I would, I think, lean into the conflict between the commentator's booth and the judging panel. So get a microphone in there and let them argue back and forth. Why not let you judge? Give Who's you a me? The, the, the viewer? Consumer. 
That'd be great. Yeah. I could see that. By the way, I was thinking, remember you and I were like, look, the judges don't even have to be on site. This yeah. is a great way for the carbon neutral thing to really kick ass. Yeah. Just don't send a bunch of people. Yep. Totally agree. Judge that thing from my house. Yep. Okay. Well, hey. Until next time. No, shout out. A shout out. Neat Essentials, by the way, oh, they yes. just introduced a couple of colors for oh, board you're shorts. Kidding. I just ordered product. Oh, I got three I'm pairs order of. order some right now. I ordered three pairs of board shorts, one of which are olive green. I like olive green. Turns out that's my color, dude. I didn't know <laughs> until I put those board shorts on, took a look in the mirror, and I'm like, dang. Oh, I've been wearing man. black all this time. Oh, olive man. green <laughs> brings out all of the beautiful tanned tones in my skin. Oh, my God. Chop hop on fire with the olive green accent. Um, so neat essentials, new product. Dot uh, com and then spyoptic.com, of course. Thanks to those who um, supported in the month of June, got a free Surfrider membership for the year as part of that. But everybody's always been psyched on their shades. So spyoptic.com. The way that we track it is by using promo code podcast. So do that, and you will support the show. And. A new boardroom show podcast is being recorded tomorrow with Joe Roper, San Diego icon and legend. That's epic. Joe Roper tomorrow. So that should be live. Hopefully David and I can get it. Monday. Monday. Okay. Um, can you tell us what, you were, what you've been writing? Yeah. So I've been writing two or three different boards. One is this being, it's called the Cypress. I put it on Instagram. You might have seen it. That's why I'm asking. It's six feet it's it's kind of just this like real simple outline which is really neat and aesthetically pleasing it's just a very simple kind of square tail um it's neither a high performance shortboard type of outline nor is it a like super wide fish outline it's kind of a tweener i guess where's the wide point wide points forward what's the nose shape the nose shape no it's a pointy nose but it's but it's you know it's not not a, a twelve-inch nose. It's Got probably it. a, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen-inch nose. Okay. And by the way, when you say that twelve-inch nose, thirteen point, where is that measurement taken? from? The, a foot from the tip of the nose. So when we hear the nose feet. measurement, it's one foot from the tip of the nose. Yeah. Where and it's the width at that point. Right. Gotcha. And it's you know it's it's just it's just it's a very functional, fast, rippable. California shortboard all-rounder it's an all-arounder exactly that's a great way to put it and it's just so fun and I've ridden it as a two like a twin fin with a baby trailer and I've ridden it as a quad with those AU those sort of trippy AU fins that are like if you look at them straight on there's a wave to them there's um I'm not describing yeah, that no, correctly that's a good way to put it there's sort of a wave and there's like a yeah like an S shape an S shape to the fin it's a unique looking fin for sure it'll catch your eye what do you feel about those fins i like those fins i've yeah. never had a bad experience and i've ridden a couple different generations of those fins i'm a big fan can you identify what's different about them um how, how is it translate in the water i can't it's funny i told somebody in the water like i don't have anything bad to say like i've never ridden a wave and went oh that fin must have screwed me up you know what i mean and i've only felt speed and so i'm not sure if it's the fin or if it's the board or if you know I, but but I'm not. Mm. I don't hesitate to put them in. I think that they must generate some speed. The board's very fast and lively. I like this board as a quad with those fins in it, and I'm not going to change those fins unless I go to a three fin. I'm going to try it as a three fin. I'm going to put three fins in it. But as a quad setup, I like the AU fins. 
their futures. I got tons of future boxes and all my boards, so I'm, I'm a big fan of all of that. Your futures over FCS, is that your go-to? I kind of am, yeah. Me too. Why? I just feel like the, I feel like the fin is, it's more of a, like a glass-on-fin feeling. Hmm. Yeah, I um I don't know why I opted for futures, but it's kind of like once you commit to something and you've got a bunch of fins from that. Plus futures is an American company. FCS is from Australia. Yeah. Not that I'm against. I have futures is of, right down the street from me. I know. Less than right a mile down away. Beach. I know. And I love those guys. And I, and I don't have anything against FCS. I have FCS boards. I will get them again in the future. I have plenty of FCS fins sitting around that need to be used. Um, but, but if I, you're paying, if, if I get, if I get, asked i put futures in because yeah, that's what too. i got i got tons of future me too. spins yeah me too you know okay i'm also writing a maurice cole that i really love a six four reverse v oh i haven't seen that board yeah it's really killer i got oh. it at the boardroom show nice and i'm still digging my um i got a channel islands twin fin off the rack at surf ride that i just love why'd you do that because i'm a freak that's the same thing with this bing i wasn't expecting to buy a board I was just at Bing and I just fell in love with this board. I'm like, I got to have this board. So I just bought it. Does your wife know? No, don't tell her. <laughs> now she does. What are you <laughs> doing, dude? You bought a CI off the rack. And a Bing. What the heck, man? Yeah. You have a problem. I kind of do. It's For hard to go into, first dude, It is hard to go into a surf shop these dude. days and not. There's so many great options out there. I saw these beautiful Josh Hall boards the other day, too. I was so tempted to buy a fish, a Josh Hall fish, but I didn't because I'm just, I got too many boards. And those aren't cheap. Those ones are not. None of the boards are cheap. Man, I talk about a, first world problems, Scott. I know. I can't stop buying surfboards I when I go into a surf I shop. I a 12-step program. I need to, my carbon footprint to be neutralized. Um, okay, one complaint I have before we sign off. Yeah. In regard to fins, uh, when you're using specifically a keel, like a twin fin keel fish type fin, the base of the fin, the back base of the fin isn't flush with the board, right? It comes up a little bit. So when you go to take out the fin with the futures fins, you have to tilt it back. And obviously it gets corroded with salt water and kind of gets stuck in there. So you have to use some force. Well, when you force it down, the tip of the keel punches a hole in the lamination outside of the fin box. You know, half an inch back from the fin box, boom, punches a hole. Every freaking time. I have one hyphenated word for you. Hit, hit me. User error. Yes. It's true. But don't <laughs> no, you? I'm every teasing. user no, has right. the same error. No, you're right. No, I have noticed this. I have no, you're not alone. It's but a nightmare. It is. I, so the you, issue is you got to put a little towel underneath it. Which I've now done. But even still. But if you're on the beach and you're in the Oregon exactly. Mexico on a trip, you're just, you're just like, you're rushing. You're like, God, I got to get this new fin in. It, that's exactly what it was. It was like loading boards in, uh, f- into a bag for a plane, for a flight, you know, and it, I'm kind of rushing and it's like, oh, uh, there's a piece, there's only a thin towel or they, then I go find a piece of wood, but the wood's too thick because the, the distance is a quarter of an inch or something less than that. And then it's like, you don't have enough room to release the fin. Like, it's just a nightmare. There needs to be, when you buy those fins, there needs to be a little piece of plastic that comes with it that you can put there as an insert or something. Because by the way, 
fin design, like releasing and putting back in and all of that isn't a flawless design. There's lots of friction at times. Those things get stuck all the time. Or you have well, to sand it down to fit it out of the box. fin puller. Yeah, that thing's pretty cool. Um, he was at the last boardroom show. Yeah. Nice guy. I want to say his name's, uh, it's like it's like Fury or Furry or, I don't know. I, for, I apologize. I forget his name exactly. But he's a cool guy. And it's a good product, that yeah. fin puller. Yeah. It yeah, solves totally. all your problems. If you put just buy the fin puller and you're going to be popping your fins in and out without any. It comes out with ease, but it'll still puncture a hole in the lamination. You still have to protect the lamination there. Oh, okay. There's not enough room for error. It's a quarter of an inch and you're pulling with full force. So to think that you could put the brakes on in that quarter of an inch is just you're a fool's errand. Man than I. I am, obviously. I would suggest like short back and forth movements. Even that, you'll still puncture a hole cuz once it breaks free, boom. Right. It's really a nightmare, Scott. Okay. So then I have That's to use first world problem. So then I have to use my spy optic stickers to cover up the little puncture wound. Done checking those text messages. Sorry, I agree with you. Thank you. Important. All right, Scott, uh, from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Until next time, adios and aloha.